0: Hi, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church who now meet each week in Hollywood Adventist on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Van Ness in Los Angeles. In-person church life, as with the rest of life, it's gonna take a while to find its shape again post-Covid, and slowly and surely is gonna be our mantra for a while all these podcasts are taken for the time being from our sunday services hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises you can live stream them or watch the videos later on bread.church if that's more your thing how to return is the theme of the current series we hope it serves you well As we end this series, we want to address the question of how we, as people of this future kingdom that has entered the present now, interact with the present world, which is still very much here, but will ultimately pass away. As we've been saying, the picture of the kingdom in the New Testament is a little bit mysterious, because it's both already and not yet. We are, as Christians, pure, spotless new creations, sons and daughters of the Most High God. Nothing can change that. That is who you are. But we also, don't we, stumble and fall over and over again. We pray for healing Because in God's kingdom there is healing and we see healing. We have seen extraordinary things over the years of people's physical uh, ailments being healed. Cancer running from people's bodies. We've seen uh, legs restored. But also we know that suffering is real. And not everyone gets healed. And we comfort And we mourn with those who mourn and we grieve with those who grieve. We are all actually going to die. It's already and it's not yet. And how the um, already not yet relates to how we as inheritors and inhabitants of this kingdom interact with the world around us, that requires us to hold a similar tension. Because if we only emphasize the future view of the kingdom, we may start to think that this world isn't really worth our time or effort. We will begin to be negative about it or we will try to escape it. So the idea of, well, climate change doesn't really matter because what we need to do as Christians is save people for eternity. This is the trap that we might fall into. On the other hand, if we emphasize only the present view of the kingdom, we may start thinking there is nothing more to come. So, we find ourselves obsessing over earthly kingdoms, sometimes mistaking them for God's kingdom, and we set our hearts on some sort of earthly utopia. For example, believing that one particular country that we may or may not be in right now, I'm not going to name it, but that one particular country may be God's chosen greatest country of all time and the best in the whole wide world. The Bible says that both this world is going to pass away and this world is worthy of transformation. Now, the world-passing-away text that we find in the Bible can make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. I have a lot of sympathy for this position if if they do make you feel uncomfortable because these sort of uh, apocalyptic-type scriptures have often been interpreted in sort of sub-theological, very weird ways, and they can make you squirm when I talk about the apocalypse or things at the end of time. But if I may... Can I encourage us not to shy away from what the Bible actually says? Now, much about the end of the world is very obscure. If you've read the Revelation of John, it's at some points barking mad, apparently. I mean, it's scripture, so we love it. But who knows what's going on there, really? So to hypothesize about some of the more obscure elements to look for signs, to predict when the end of the world is going to occur. Jesus actually tells us expressly, don't do that. So don't do that. Leave that to your great aunt in Utah or wherever she is. But we are told to be aware that this world will pass away. In fact, the end of the world has already begun in Jesus. It has started. So we're not actually waiting for the end of the world. We're in it. But let us also stick to what is not up for debate. Jesus will return, and there will be the final consummation of all God's purposes for this world. And it will be dramatic. It will be extraordinary and powerful. The kingdom will come in full. As Jesus says to his disciples, they're saying, oh, look at this beautiful temple building. And he says, for what you see here, a time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Paul says, the world will pass away. Do not be naive. So, on one hand, this is great news. This world in which we live with its Instagram posts and its faux social media outrage and its coexist bumper stickers and its injustice and its greed and its virtue signaling and its Fox News and its charcoal water, all of it is going to pass away. And Jesus' kingdom will be fully established. Only he can do it. Only he can right every single wrong. Only he can wipe away every single tear and heal every wound. Only him. And we will be with him and he will be king and it will be glorious and eternal and beautiful. And it's what you're sensing, it's what you hope for, that actually it's all going to be A-OK. It's going to be wonderful. But what of the meantime? Well, Jesus clearly saw his kingdom transforming this earth into a just society right here and right now. The good news of the kingdom and the power of the king transforms people not just inwardly, but also their whole entire lives. It's why there are scores and scores and scores of texts within the New Testament that are devoted to issues of discipleship right here, right now. How we interact with one another, how we interact with spouses, how we interact with children and our bosses and work and government and those who are inside and outside the church all over the the place. All aspects of life are turned upside down by King Jesus. So much so that we become salt and light. We are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are not just revolutionized ourselves, but we are given the power to revolutionize everything around us. His kingdom is found wherever he is king, which is what we've just been doing in worship, acknowledging that he is king, as Ben was saying. And where he is king, that's where his kingdom of justice and mercy and healing and power and revolution is to be found. So, let's keep the tension balanced. That this world will pass away, knowing that, guards us against ever conforming to this world. But so too, it guards us against running after a utopia here. Because no political movement, no political ideology, no cause, no protest, no policy, no nation can ever be the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, the fact that the world can be transformed guards us against being defeated or pessimistic because God's kingdom is advancing right here, right now, and that gives us hope eternal. We are called to partner with him, to right every wrong, to extend the kingdom in its power, and for his glory. So this week, as we end the series, we want to concentrate on one area in particular in which we can see God's kingdom come here on earth, and that's the area of justice and mercy. Now, in the Bible, throughout, these two terms are intrinsically linked. They can't really be separated. And justice is far more than just the evildoer receiving their dues. It's actually all the victims receiving their dues too. It's everything being right with the world. And mercy is far more than just forgiveness or compassion. Mercy is healing and comfort and restoration and actually the alleviation of suffering. Justice, Justice and mercy. So consider those people who were at the forefront of Jesus' mind when he announces the kingdom of God has arrived in him. This is how he introduces himself, his little manifesto at the beginning. Uh, reading from Isaiah, he says, I have come and the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the oppressed, prisoners rather, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. In his ethical teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he declares that the kingdom come means particular blessing for the poor in spirit, those mourning, the meek, those thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, Who does Jesus spend most of his time with? He spends his time with tax collectors, the poor, the widows, the prostitutes, the religiously unclean. Easy for me to say. Let's be clear. The kingdom of God is for everyone. Absolutely everyone. Jesus spent time with the rich and powerful too. He's come for all people. Every single one of us whether we think we deserve it or not. He's come for all people because God loves all people. But it is particularly there for those who most need it, which can obviously include the well-to-do and the rich. It's a strange quirk. I would say some of the most wealthy people that I know, the most successful, powerful people, are also the people most in need. But what it always includes is those who have the least in earthly terms. It's justice for the downtrodden. It is mercy for those for whom no mercy has been shown. It's healing for the hurting, abundance for those who are in poverty. It is deliverance for the oppressed, and it's love for the unloved and the unlovable. Now. When Jesus says this, he's actually not saying something new. On the one hand, the Bible states very clearly that everyone is equal. Every single life is equal because all are made in the image of God. It's the most absolute basic level of justice and mercy. All lives matter, obviously. And that's where some would like to stop. That's justice. We don't need to muddy the waters. Let's not confuse the matter. Let's just stick with that every life. But the Bible, from start to finish, does not stop there because it does need to say more. Yes, all people should be treated equally. But over and over again, the Bible goes further. It says all lives are equal, but some lives require Necessitate focused concern. Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets? Says Zechariah in his prophecy in chapter 7. By which he means, hasn't this sort of stuff been said by God since the beginning? The answer is yes. It's a rhetorical question. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 9. Administer the justice, true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Do justice. Not just universal all-lives-matter justice, specifically focused, targeted justice for those who need it most. The widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. This, says Zechariah, you have heard since the beginning. So let's just do a whistle-stop tour of things that God has said to his people since the beginning. Exodus 22:22. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Deuteronomy 24:17. Do not deprive the foreigner of the, or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do what's right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Jeremiah 22.3, do what is just and right, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed, do not wrong or or do violence to the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Repeatedly, these four groups, the widow, the fatherless and the orphan, the foreigner and the poor and the oppressed. Those are who are in view when justice, when mercy is mentioned in the Bible. Why or isn't it so obvious? These are the ones who need justice most. If there was ever a famine or even the slightest political or social unrest, it was these people who would be the first to suffer and who would suffer the most. God does not say, make sure you look after all the men. He also does not say, make sure you look after all the women. He doesn't even say, make sure you look after all the children. He's very specific. Widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. Some lives need more justice. I don't think you need me to spell out who the modern equivalents might be in this city right here right now so when Jesus arrives on the scene he is not really announcing a new message at all he's announcing a new moment in time the most important dramatic consequential moment in all of history that the kingdom is here because the king is here and justice is going to flow like a river Mercy is going to pour out from the King of Kings, from the Prince of Peace, from Jesus. He is here. And from him comes grace and truth. This new moment means that the eternal kingdom is on a collision course with all earthly kingdoms, with all injustice, with all lack of mercy, with all the ways in which you have been told that you do not measure up. All the ways in which you have been told that you need to try harder, that you're not good enough. It's on a collision course with all those people who have been told that they are worthless that they don't deserve things because they haven't made enough of their life. It's on a collision course with all the ways in which people have told because of their sexuality, because of their gender, because of the color of their skin, they do not get what everyone else gets. Jesus says, this ends now with me because I'm here. And my kingdom has come. Justice and mercy flow like a river now from him. The kingdom is wherever the king is. Wherever the king is acknowledged. So, as people of his kingdom, let's acknowledge the king, Jesus. And to be a kingdom person is to be a person of justice. Not just justice that we receive, and there'll be people in this room who need to know justice. They need to know that God's face is turned towards you rather than away from you. That he looks on you and says, I am here, I'm with you. As Ben was prophesying in worship, there are people here who need to know that he's not going to let you down. We need to receive his mercy and his justice for ourselves so that we might also administer it to other people. We do both and. And Raoul is going to talk a little bit more about that. Now, Big Daddy has fallen on top of me
1: help yeah as ed was mentioning that i couldn't help but think of um nacho libre and it is very fitting that i would be a (laughs) coming in to save him um, but thanks, Ed, for that. Um, as I mentioned, my name is Raul, and I work for Bread as the community engagement pastor, which means I have the responsibility for all the ways in which Bread seeks to bring justice, um, show mercy to our congregation, our community, and just the wider city in the world. Um, and I'm going to walk us through what this looks like at Bread and how you can get involved. Because that is exciting. Um, I know when we hear a talk like this, it kind of may feel a little overwhelming with such incredible needs in our community. You know, we might think, what can one person do? Or what can one church do? What, what can I do? Um, and it can make us want to tune this out. But I think it would be good to remember just what Hannah had mentioned a few weeks ago. As a matter of our neurological wiring, our brains are not made for global community and thousands of social media relationships and the constant bombardment of news and information and trends, because we're wired more for like 150 relationships, which explains why since the ancient days, villages and army units have maxed at that size. Because we can literally be overwhelmed by the size of the problem. And if we don't actually see that too much is coming at us at the moment, it's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It's just too much. It's way more than we are designed to handle. And so let us just recognize that when it comes to this work, when it comes to serving the city, you and I can take ourselves off the hook of having to meet and engage with a city of 3 million people or a county of 10 million. And I know that fiery preaching has often left us with heavy burdens of having to change the city, having to uh, change the world to meet some form of Christian agenda of sorts. But Jesus calls us to a more practical and embodied way. This is what he tells his disciples. He says, the poor will always be among you. And we see this realization elsewhere in the Old Testament because the Bible recognizes that human systems are not perfect. Not the one on the left, not the one on the right. And as long as we live in this in-between, in this in-between moment, the now and not yet of the kingdom, people fall through the cracks of our social structures and what Jesus invites you and I to do is to participate with him in serving, in caring, in extending mercy for the vulnerable, for those who are marginalized, and for those who are forgotten by everyone else. He, what he asks of us is that we be people who follow what the Spirit is leading us to do, however big, however seemingly insignificant, because the point isn't to make a big splash. The point is to be obedient because this is what we are called to do. And so here are the ways any one of us can be involved. Your time, your gifting, your resources can be giving them away to be used in service of others who need them most. These can have life-changing effects on others, which in in turn has an effect on us. So know that you can be a vital part of this work. In the kingdom, nothing is wasted. God can use all of it, even when we fail to see it in ourselves. And so we have partnered with a number of organizations. I'll run through these uh, in a moment. Um, But I'll also explain how you can get involved. And as we hear this, please know that What uh, we're doing here is evolving, and there are other initiatives that you can ask me about after the service. We'll have a desk set up in the back in the lobby, a help desk, an information desk, um, and you can ask me any question there. Um, But we are also looking to build a Serve the City team, um, a group of people who are passionate about this, who are called um, and ready to help the church in these areas. Um, afterwards, again, you can ask me about that. So uh, the first organization that we've kind of been in contact with is Home for Refugees. And this is an organization that works to resettle refugee individuals and families. As you may have heard, in August when Kabul fell, many of those who aided U.S. forces in Afghanistan um, were given special immigration visas And, those with these types of visas went through an intense process of vetting and have already started arriving in the United States. Um, And with the guidance of this organization, we can host refugees, help them settle into this neighborhood, um, do things like introduce them to the grocery store, help them get a driver's license, these kinds of things. These are all signs of welcoming. Of, of, of being hosts. Um, and being a place of welcome is core to who we want to be as a church. We want to be a place for refugees and immigrants because, as we just read in the Bible, God particularly cares for them. And so here's what we need um, anyone who can commit two or three hours a week for about a year. Um, we need people who are warm and welcoming. We need people who are good at hosting, um, people who are willing to engage in conversation and meet new people. And you don't need to speak another language because in working with US forces they have already um, learned to speak English. And so if this is if any of this sparks interest, you can email me. We'll set up a information meeting with the organization and they'll kind of walk us through some of the details and any other questions that you may have. Um, We need at least five people interested to form a team, um, a host team. So that is Home for Refugees. The next thing here are um, care kits. You may have seen some of us pass these around. Um, Alicia started this a few years ago, and we are going to continue with that work. Um, but these, are, these care kits are kits that include hygiene supplies, snacks, and a list of resources to help those who are suffering from homelessness. We go out once a month, and we pass these out to the unsheltered. Uh, we have a brief chat, we pray, and we invite them to church. Um, this has brought people in, and, and, and for those of us who have gone out, it's really been um, enriching and nourishing And so we want to alleviate the burden of suffering and share resources to help people get out of their situation. Because Jesus came to alleviate suffering. And he did so not just in thought, in prayer, but he did it by multiplying bread for thousands. And so here's what we need. We need uh, donations, things like socks, um, soft snacks, hygiene products, people who can be comfortable and warm with the really vulnerable in our neighborhood. And we also need more guys on these teams. Um, As of late, uh, we've had a lot of ladies, but we need to bring some more balance to that. Um, And so if you are looking to get involved, you can get involved by keeping up to date with our calendar. Um, We have a calendar online that you can go and visit all the, um, you can check when, when everything's happening. But we schedule these distributions on Sundays. Uh, The next one is Halloween, uh, October 31st. So come along, come one, come all. And uh, another organization that we are partnering with, uh, Hannah mentioned this earlier, is Fellowship Monrovia and their Center for Racial Reconciliation. We have just been so uh, thankful to be able to find them as a partner Um, and what they do is they facilitate this work of racial reconciliation. We've learned a lot from our engagement with uh, the task force, our book clubs, and we've attended conferences, and this is the right step for us. This is the right next step for us as we continue to engage with uh, racial justice issues. And the Center's vision for, uh, for this work is to lead, is to lead a gospel-centered uh, conversation engagement that results in individual and systemic reconciliation. And one day, one way they do this is by putting on workshops, engaging in conversations called table talks, where they bring different people together. Um, they have a meal together, and they it's it's very interesting. They have this table set up. Um, and they designate different people to come in, have an intentional conversation, and everyone else is just kind of seated around them watching this conversation, just learning. And um, it's, it's really beautiful, the, the things that come out of these conversations. And so we plan on hosting and attending these in 2022. Uh, it's a wonderful way to form theology about, around race, um, to learn from one another's experiences, and do so in a safe environment. Uh, Because justice involves knowing one another and making meaningful connections. And so at Bread, we need to make space for this because if we're called to be people of reconciliation, this is what it takes. And so here's what we need. We need as many people engaged in this as possible. Uh, We need need to attend these table talks, uh, these specific conversations. And we are going to host these workshops, and so we'd need people to help facilitate that, um, te- set up, tear down, those kinds of things. But all of this is coming in 2022, so please stay tuned. But in the meantime, what you can do is go back, catch up on our book, the club that we did, Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, because a lot of, uh, our, our, a lot of that informs our approach on this has come from that book. So... Roadmap to Reconciliation 2.0, more online. Um, another thing that we're doing is field trips. These are immersive learning experiences, and they can be related to a range of social and historical events. Uh, we believe that faith must be embodied. And through these, we walk through these sacred spaces, through these unique spaces, to feel it through our bodies in the field. And so we need people to facilitate these um, we need more. The more that attend, the better. And uh, these are also great ways to meet others at church. Um, and so, our next field trip, as Hannah mentioned, is October twenty third um, with the center, and we meet. We're going to meet at um, Union Station in downtown, and we'll be out there from nine to twelve. Next thing is funding. We have a benevolence fund that helps alleviate people's financial burden. And so please apply if you are in need. The money is there and we are ready to give it. Um, I know sometimes we can be reluctant to ask for help, especially if it's from someone that we know. And so all, these, all the requests and all the applications that come in remain anonymous. And so if if you decide to apply, be confident that you won't draw any unwanted attention to yourself. Um, And we're also uh, taking special donations to this fund. And so if you would like to donate specifically to the Benevolence Fund, you can do so online. Um, These are a lot of things that we're doing, guys. It's very exciting. And I've got more. Okay, just get ready. Um, So a couple of other ones that I just want to list off real quick uh, we are putting together snack packs for an organization just down the street on the other side of the freeway called My Friend's Place. And what they do is they help shelter and care for uh, youth that are suffering from homelessness. Um, we're, our next drive is on October 24th, and we're going to have that here in the back. Um, please donate. Bring in snacks, fruit snacks, chips, um, coloring supplies, art supplies, those kinds of things. Um and we'll, we'll pack them here in the back. And also here at SDA, um, in the parking lot, they have an organization called Compassion Connection. And they provide showers and laundry for people suffering from homelessness. Um, and so that is here Tuesdays through Thursdays. And if you say, hey, you know, I've got a free hour uh, during the week then um, and you want to pop by, they can definitely use some help. Um, we've given to Mary's List, which is an organization that helps donate uh, items to refugees. Um, feel free to look them up and donate on there. And then in December, we are putting on a toy drive for kids in the community. Um, so we'll need toys, we'll need people to facilitate that and set that up. Um, we are we want to be generous um, to those who are less fortunate, and this Christmas in particular is going to be much more difficult as government assistance stops and the supply shortages continue. And so all of this um, doesn't, doesn't naturally come to us. You know, becoming a church community that naturally engages in acts of service and showing mercy in and in an administering justice doesn't just happen by magic it it takes work and so let us all commit to allowing God to speak to us about the areas that we keep um, that we keep ourselves from in extending this kind of generosity but also let us acknowledge that this is a lifelong process that requires our ongoing surrendering we surrender to the spirit who leads us in this and as a leadership team, we are committed to continually preaching and teaching about what godly service is and how it works. And as a church, we will continue to look for opportunities to partner with other organizations as well as establish our own um, programs as well that best serve those who need it most. We'll continue to highlight all the opportunities that there are to serve um. And you can always, again, just email me if there's anything in particular that you'd like to know more about. But having said all that, we can have all the teaching, all the programs, all the volunteer drives, all the toy drives, all the inspiring messages. But if we do all of this without the Spirit, then it will remain dry and fruitless. Because there's simply no substitute for the breath of the Holy Spirit filling this kind of work. He's the one who who fills us. He's the fire inside our bellies. He's the one who sustains us. And it's him who gives us hearts of compassion and love. It's the spirit who gives us eyes to see the needs in our community and the desires to meet them. It's him who gives us the energy to keep on, uh, keeping on in this. And so notice that when Jesus First began his ministry. Luke mentions that it was the Spirit who drove him. He returned from the desert. He returned from being tempted in the wilderness, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. And when he started his ministry, nothing could stop him and nothing and no one was able to undo the work that he had started because it's the Spirit who sustains this. It's the Spirit who prompts us to acts of mercy. It's like, it's like he's nudging us. A couple of weeks ago, a friend had um, parked in the lot and was walking up to the lobby on a Sunday. And I'm not sure how exactly this played out, but Hannah and I were watching this from inside the lobby. And I saw that my friend was presented for an opportunity uh, for this, for mercy, for justice, for service. And as he was walking up, there was an unsheltered person who was in the parking lot, walking barefoot. And we watched my friend from our community sit on the ground in the parking lot with this person. And he began to untie his shoes, and he handed them over to this person. He took off his shoes, and he gave them to him. And Hannah and I were so moved because this is the kingdom. These are the signs of the kingdom in our midst. When Jesus said the kingdom is near, this is also what he had in mind. This kind of radical generosity. No one had pressured my friend. No one had guilted him to do it. There's an opportunity to be merciful. And he went for it. And it was beautiful. I found it incredibly moving. and and encouraging so let us be like my friend open to opportunities to be merciful open to what the holy spirit is nudging us to do otherwise we risk our faith going stale if we continually dismiss the nudges of the spirit and so we administer justice we extend mercy and care for the vulnerable all of this happens when god's spirit is moving in power He's the breath behind these, these acts. He's the breath behind these, these initiatives. These are the signs of the kingdom breaking in. And so the hungrier we are for the kingdom, the more we thirst for the movement of the Spirit, the more justice and mercy will flow because as Ed mentioned, all of it comes from Jesus. He came up with the idea. It's him. Um, so that's that. I'm going to tag my partner here.
0: Great. Thank you, Rao. Uh, Benjamin, where are you? Would you like to come and sing us a song? About fake wrestling. Let's stand, shall we? Just as the band are coming up. A couple of things I just wanted to add right at the end. Um, When it comes to the work of racial reconciliation, uh, I just need to say this. White people, primarily, this is on us. People of color, would you just bear with us, please? But white people... Primarily on us. That's white people. <laughs> Primarily on us. Jesus uh, did nothing without compassion. The reason he was compassionate was because he knew himself to be loved unconditionally and without measure. The more we know ourselves to be loved, the more we have any chance of showing love to other people. So let us know ourselves to be loved by the king of love. And from that, let us be people of deep transformative compassion. What I suggest we do is we sing this song and ask God to speak to us as we sing it.